Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28, verses 4 through 5. If you don't have it, no worries. We're going to put it on the screen for you. And so I'm super excited about this series, uh, mainly because I'm a huge fan of the Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' story, um, but also because I really do believe it's going to bless your life. I want to give you a little sneak peek into everything that we're going to talk about um, in week three. It's a three-part sermon series, and in week three, we're going to talk about how to handle worry and anxiety and fear when we talk about the ghost of Christmas future. Next week, we're going to talk about handling the pressure and the expectations of the present when we talk about the ghost of Christmas present. And today, we're going to talk about handling the shame of our past when we talk about the ghost of Christmas past. And I want to warn you, today is going to be a bit heavy, but it's also going to be more than just a bit helpful. And so in order for you to get the most of it, it's going to require for you to be transparent, um, be open. And, uh, you know, I've been that person in church who, when the pastor's preaching, I'm like nudging my wife. I'm like, he's talking to you, girl. He's talking to you. And I just want you to know this sermon is not for your neighbor, okay? It's not for your wife, your husband, your friend, your boyfriend, your son or daughter. I really believe, been praying all week, I really believe this message is for you. And so the ghost of Christmas past, if you're taking notes, is, is the topic we're going to be on today. And we're going to read uh, again from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 4 through 5. And it goes like this. The Philistines had mustered their troops and camped at Shunem. Saul had assembled all Israel and camped at Gilboa. But when Saul saw the Philistine troops, he shook in his boots, scared to death. Verse 6. Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer. Neither by dream, nor by sign, nor by prophet. Now, I want to pause here just for a second and tell you, he might not have been talking to Saul, but he was talking to Saul. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Sometimes when God's not talking, he's talking. Like, I can say this now without embarrassment because I have a beautiful wife, but I have been dumped enough times to know that non-communication is communication. For all my high schoolers here, if she ain't texting you back, her phone's not dead. <laughs> she, no. she, not, she, might, she might not be sending a text, but she's sending a message. You know what I mean? She's sending you a message. And, so, and, so, and, and that's a good analogy in some ways and a poor analogy in others because the reality is God never dumps us. He never leaves us. It would be a violation of his identity and of his covenant relationship with us. The Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're often the ones who leave God. It's not the other way around. But I bring it up to make a point, and that is this, that even in God's silence, there's a sentence. And sometimes you have to look for God's sentence in God's silence, um, because when you're doing that, then you can change the question. Because our default question, whenever we're entering into a season of loneliness and silence, is where are you, God? And that's a poor question, because the answer is here, where I've always been. 
That's, that's always the answer to that question because remember, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's a poor question because it raises fear and doubt and worry. Here's the better question, not where are you, God, but rather, God, what are you trying to do in my life? And if you answer that question, it will not give birth to anxiety. It'll actually give birth to spiritual maturity because then you'll be able to see God and you'll be able to see what God's saying. If Saul had done that, I'm sure his story would have ended differently. Um, but instead of being patient, Saul panicked. And instead of being discerning, he got desperate. And this is what he does. And he does what a lot of us do. It might not seem like it at first, but I promise this is what a lot of us do. This is what he does. First Samuel chapter 28, verse 7. So Saul ordered his officials, find me somebody who can call up the spirits. God's not talking to me, so I'm going to have to go outside of God to get the answer that I want. So all his officials, find me someone who can call the spirits so I may go and seek counsel from those spirits. And his servant said, well, there is a witch at Endor. Now, here's what you got to know about Endor. Endor was actually 15 minutes away from Gilboa. So it was a lot closer than Jerusalem. It was a lot. And why do I say that? Saul chose to do the wrong thing now instead of the right thing later. Because Endor was not the right thing, but it was the closest thing. And I just want to pause here and let you know, sometimes the closest thing is not the right thing. Some of you guys are thinking about getting into a relationship just with a person because they're there, because they liked your photo, and because they commented on your, on your image, on you look so pretty. Like, uh, just because somebody leans in for the kiss doesn't mean you got to kiss back. I'm just trying to give you some advice. Um, don't settle for somebody just because they're there in your life. Wait for the right person and choose character over proximity, because the closest thing is not always the right thing. And so wait for the right thing and do not rush into the wrong thing, okay? Because for a lot of us, we'd rather have the wrong thing now than the right thing later. And I want to guarantee you that uh, that's not going to bless your life whatsoever. And so uh, he rushes to the closest thing, not the right thing. And uh, here's what he says, uh, verse 8 and 11. Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes. Why? Because Saul had made it illegal to consult mediums or witches or, or anybody who operated in that realm. And so it's against his own law that he set. So he's going kind of, you know, on the down low and taking two men with him, he went under the cover of night to the witch, to the woman, and said, I want you to consult, uh, say it with me, ghosts for me. Call up the person I name, Samuel. Bring me Samuel. And this is where I want to insert ourselves into the story. This is where I want to bring it home because when he says the name Samuel, we understand that Saul is not just running to Endor because Endor is not far. He's running to Endor because in Endor is someone who is familiar. Who is Samuel? Samuel was Saul's uh, former mentor. He was the guy who got Saul started in the ministry. He called Saul into the ministry. He told him he was going to be his, uh, the next king of Israel. He was his former mentor. He was his former best friend. He was his former guide. He was his former almost spiritual father. But I'm using the word former in case you haven't noticed because Samuel is dead. Former, no longer alive. He is dead. And that is what we so often do. No, not talk to dead people. Not what I mean. Here's what we oftentimes do. When we get into a situation that applies pressure on us, when we get into a situation that makes us nervous, when we get into a situation that, that raises our anxiety, when we get into a situation that makes us want to run and hide and avoid people, even the people we love, when we get into a situation like the holidays, come on somebody, 
We never reach out into the future. We always revert to the familiar. And we go back because it's comfortable, it's convenient, and it's what we know. We go back to the habits and the patterns in our past for direction on our future. We go back to the, we, we, we allow our past, listen, we allow our past, the people we've met, the failures we've experienced, and the choices we've made tell us what our next decision is going to be. Do not run to the past for direction on your future. It will not help you. Saul did it, and it did not help him. Samuel is literally, literally the ghost of Saul's past. Literally. And here's what this looks like practically, and this is why we can't do it. Samuel uh, wasn't just a person. Like I said, he wasn't just the past. He was a symbol of, are you ready, Saul's good old days. Come on, do you remember the good old days? Good old days. They were, we call them good old days because they were good. Yeah, and they were good, but they were also old. I'm talking to the star athlete in high school. You had everything, and now... You don't have a star, and you're not an athlete. You're an athlete on Madden and NBA 2K, but you're no longer a real athlete. And I'm talking to the person who just moved from the awesome city that they were in, and they just moved to Orlando, and they're upset because there's no snow on Christmas. Shut up. Orlando's awesome, okay? It's the best. Come on, Orlando. Back me up. All right. Here's why it's no good to live in the past or the good old days. Are you ready? Because the good old days were never as good as you remember. I've learned that. Have you realized that? I was telling on my son the other day, I said, oh, Papa, you should have grown up in the house. I grew up in it. It was awesome. I told him my dad had the biggest Christmas train railroad track. It was awesome. It went around the whole house, and it did a little choo-choo sound, and it was so beautiful. You, you got to see it. I'm sorry. I don't, you know what? I said, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up on the internet so I can show you. It's amazing train set. So I went on Amazon. I found it, y'all. I found it. Here's a picture of the train set. That's it. I looked at the picture on top, and I'm like, that's it. That's the one. And then I scrolled down, and I'm like, that thing is like three feet wide. But in my mind, it went into a different zip code. Like, I made it more beautiful than actually what it, what it was. And you got to be careful when we try to relive the past, because I, wanna, I hate to burst your bubble, but the past was not as great as you think it was. Some of you guys who are, maybe you've been married a long time, you're thinking, oh, you know what, this is real tough. I wish we could go back to how it was when we were dating. Really? It was awesome when we were dating. She got me flowers all the time, and, and he opened the door for me, and she kissed me every time. You know why you guys did that for each other? Because you didn't know each other. You didn't know each other. Yeah, you loved each other because it was all, it was all, we were trying to impress each other. You didn't really know each other. And let me tell you something. You can't have real love with a fake person. And what you have now is more love than when it was then because now you know all of their failures, you know all of their lack, and you choose to still love them for who you are. Be careful. We got some husbands who can't enjoy their wife because they're thinking about the girl that they took to prom. Can I tell you? She wasn't all that. Oh, but she was so pretty and she smelled so good. Yeah, but she was also crazy. Do you remember that? She was crazy. That's why you're not with her anymore. She was crazy. Some of you guys are single and you're in your 20s now. I got, a, I got a big heart for what they call Generation Y because you guys grew up in social media world. You know what that means? That means if you're in, 20, if you're in your 20s, you have digital evidence of your teens. 
Y'all who live in your 40s, 30s, you got to actually go look for those pictures. But not these 20-year-olds. They get a reminder every year, you're not who you were. Every year on Facebook, they get a reminder, you are not who you were. You are not who you were. You are not who you were. And so, and so you guys are thinking, you're looking back, you're in your 20s, you got bills now, you got, you know, you got, you got responsibility, you're thinking, oh, if I could just be in my teens again, I was so carefree. Yeah, but because you were broke and living with your parents. Like, it wasn't all that. And, 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 and anyway, you're probably still broke and living with your parents, so, so really, what's changed? I'm just saying. I'm just trying to encourage you. <laughs> I promise that's encouragement. What's changed? Has really that much changed? Or maybe you're over 50. Make some noise if you're over 50. We love you. Yeah. Come on. And you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, man, in my 20s, I was looking in the mirror. Body parts are not where they used to be. (laughs) And you're thinking, man, I used to be a lot skinnier in my 20s. Yeah, okay. But you were a lot dumber, too. Like, do you remember how dumb you were? The mistakes you made when you were in your 20s, the mistakes you made when you were in your 30s, thank God. I'd rather trade the, the, the wisdom for the figure any day. Any day. You got something today. And here's the problem. When you, under, when you overappreciate your past, you underappreciate your present. When you are so focused on what you had, you can't really receive what you have. And can I be the first person to tell you in this Christmas season that you have way more than you think you have? You have way more than you think you have. You have a ton. And so learn to live in the present. That's the problem with nostalgia. And so you got to run from nostalgia. Now listen, Samuel wasn't just a reminder of Saul's good old days. He was also a reminder of Saul's greatest failures, which is what the past often is, a combination of things that we would wish we could relive and things that we want to forget. Amen? And so Samuel is a reminder of Saul's greatest failure. What was Saul's greatest failure? He was getting ready to fight the Philistines. And while he's getting ready to fight the Philistines, um, Samuel sent him a message. He said, wait for me. I'm coming in seven days. And when I come in seven days, I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to tell you where to attack and when to attack. But wait for me to give the offering. Wait for me to have church, essentially. Well, Saul gets nervous because the Philistines are lined up and people, his own army, they're actually beginning to desert him. So seven days comes and it's like seven day at the midnight hour, like it's about to be the eighth day and Saul can't wait any longer. And so he grabs an animal and he makes the sacrifice. And before the, the clock strikes 12, Saul, Samuel walks into the picture because how many people know God might be late, but he's always on time. You know what I'm saying? He's only late by your calendar. If he said it was going to happen and if he said he was going to do it, he will do it. It might be 1159.0009, but Jesus will always walk into the picture of your life just like he promised that he would. But because he took the offering into his own hands, Samuel said, man, you're doing this without God. And if you're trying to do this without God, you're going to fail. Today, he looks at Saul, says, today God has ripped the crown from your head and he's going to give it to someone who is a man after God's own heart. He was talking about David, of course. And so you have to understand, why do I bring this up? Because now Saul is at the battle lines once again. And do you remember who he was fighting? Philistines. Same Philistines who were a part of his greatest failure. Why do I bring that up? Because now Saul is in a situation that is different from the situation that he was in. But he's projecting the situation that he was in into the situation that he is currently in. 
And you got to be careful. Sometimes when you go through hurt and pain, you like to project yesterday's experience onto today. But if you treat today the same way you treated yesterday, chances are you're going to relive the failure of yesterday. Samuel, Saul was not seeing the Philistines of today. He was seeing the Philistines of 20 years ago when he betrayed Samuel. In other words, he was looking at a ghost. And you got to be careful. Got to be careful. Don't project yesterday's hurt and pain into today's relationships. It will mess you up. I remember when Liz and I first started dating, um, like I said, I've been dumped a lot, of, a lot of times. I've been cheated on a lot of times, and I had a big thing with non-communication. I still do. I tell my staff, if I email you or text me, you better email me and text me within 24 hours, because if not, I'm going to think you broke up with me. I'm going to think you dumped me or cheated on me, one of the two. And so, and so I remember Liz and I were in the talking phase of our dating relationship, and I remember texting her, and it was like an hour, and she didn't text back. And then it was two hours, she didn't text back. Three hours, and she didn't text back. Four hours, she didn't text back. It's like midnight right now, and I'm about to do something that I would never recommend a person who is trying to impress a girl, never call her at midnight. It's just a sign of desperation, but I called her, called her at midnight. I said, hey, I said, hey girl. I said, listen, if you don't want to be with me, then just tell me you don't want to be with me, okay? Just let me know. The least you can do is text back and say, you don't want to. I deserve a response at least. Just communicate and tell me you don't love me, okay? Just tell me you don't love me. She was like, um, someone from my church blew a tire. And so I was just, we, it took a long time because we didn't know how to do it, but it took about three or four hours to, to, to get them fixed and get them on the road and get gasoline in their car. So I was just helping this person from my church. I was like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> but what happened? I almost ruined the situation today because I was projecting yesterday's outcome on today. And they're different situations. You can't take the past with you into your present. You can't do it. There are people who are coming to church right now, but they don't see Journey Church. They see the last church they went to. There are people who are looking at me right now, but they don't see Pastor JJ. They see the old pastor that hurt them. You're in relationships right now, and you don't see your boyfriend. You see your ex-boyfriend. There are wives. You don't see your husband. You see your father. And you got to be careful not to project what, what, what is in your heart into your life. Because I'll tell you, the, uh, um, was it Justice spent the night at my, at my parents' house this past weekend, and he, he talked to my father. He said, he said, uh, he said Dad, there's a, he told my, 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 my father, he said, Grandpa, Wello is his name, Wello. He said, Wello, which is Grandpa in Spanish, he said, Wello, uh, there's a mask in the corner. Why is there a mask and there's a ghost in the corner? And he's like, what ghost? What are you talking about? He said, there's a ghost in the corner of the room. There's a ghost in the corner of the room. And it, it was just, it ended up just being a, a T-shirt like on a hanger. But the week, that week, we had seen, like, the Christmas carol and, like, all these ghosts. And, and so what I'm trying to say is that there was no ghost. I can't tell Justice that there's no ghost in the room because it's not the ghost in the room that scares him. It's, it, it, or it's fake. The ghost in the room might be fake. Follow me. But the ghost in his heart is real. And you will never expel the ghost in your life if you don't first expel the ghost in your heart. you got to get rid of the past in here so that you don't keep seeing the past everywhere you go. Got to get rid of it in here. You got to get rid of it in here. And so here's what Saul does. He's trying to, here's, my, here's my, what I was wrestling with in the Bible because with all of that hurt, why, why try and dig it up again? All of that pain, all of that failure, why try and dig it up again? Why try and talk to Samuel? And I think it's because Saul is trying to do the one thing with the past that you can't do. 
He, he remembers his last experience, and he says, last time I should have talked to Samuel, and I didn't, and it messed me up. But this time, I'm going to go get Samuel. But, but it's bad. Why? Because he's creating a decision based on a past pain. He's, that's, how, that's how he's deciding. And so he goes to talk to Samuel, and here's what, here's, here's what I believe is happening and why, why Saul will die in a couple days. Actually, the next day Saul dies. And here's why I believe it was over for him. Because he tries to do something with the past that you cannot do. You can learn from the past. You can repent from the past. You can celebrate the past. You can honor the past. But one thing you can never do to the past is change the past. You cannot change the past. But Saul sees a situation very similar, and he goes, here's my opportunity. I'm going to do now what I wish I would have done. The past is the past, and it cannot help you into your future steps. And Samuel knows as much, which is why Samuel does come up, but Samuel rebukes him. Because he's like, what are you trying to do? You're coming to a ghost for, for advice. It's not going to help. This is what Samuel says to Saul. Verse 15, chapter 28, in the message version. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by calling me up? Saul said, because I'm in deep trouble. The Philistines are making war against me. Remember? Remember last time? The Philistines, and I didn't go to you? My bad. Can we get a do-over? The Philistines are making war against me, and God has deserted me. He don't answer me anymore either by prophet or by dream. Look at what Saul is trying to accomplish with his past that he cannot do and what you and me do. And so I'm calling on you to tell me what to do. You cannot change your past, so do myself and yourself a favor. Stop talking to it. Stop engaging with it. It's a ghost. Why do we talk to ghosts? Why do we argue emotionally with a spouse who's already left us? Why do we fight for the approval of a parent who's already died? Why do we have comebacks for offenses that are a week old? Have you ever lived that out? Man, I was, at, I was, I was hanging out with some people a while back. They said something so hurtful, and I thought, ooh, and I internalized it. Four days later, I talked to Liz. I need to process it. I said, babe, can you believe this person said this, this, and that to me? I said, you know what I said? I said, this, this, and that. She said, she knows me. She's like, you said that? I'm like, well, well, I thought it. I should have said it. Right? And we're fighting battles that are weeks old. Listen, and we're spending so much we're spending so much time and we're focusing so much on the battles of yesterday that we've got no more energy for today. And we're so tired. That's why we wake up tired because we went to bed fighting something that happened a week ago. Stop fighting things that have already gone. Stop fighting battles that have already been lost. It's lost. Move on to the next one. Tomorrow's a new day. God's got new mercy and new grace. Let it go. Let it go. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm not going to sing the song. Let it go. My goodness. Because it can't. And listen, and not only is it going to steal your energy from the present, but, but focusing on your past will also forbid you from your future. I got a young man. He's one of our staff members of our church. I asked him for permission to share this story. He's called to ministry. His name's Eddie. Uh, he also oversees our, our guest experience team and some of our other teams. Amazing young man. If you meet with him, he's young. He's got energy. But he's called to ministry. You know that the moment you meet him. Um, he's got an issue. His father got released from prison about a year ago. And uh, he loves his dad, but he didn't spend a lot of Christmases with his dad. And now his dad's out of jail. His dad doesn't, he's not a believer, doesn't go to church. His dad has different values. 
than Eddie has. And Eddie and I had lunch this past Tuesday, and he said, man, you know, I need prayer. Pray with me. Help me because um, I want to be in ministry, but my dad just wants me to be in business and be successful. And my problem is I'm starting to realize now I will never get the approval of my father. I was over his house, and there was a preacher on TV, and I, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, you see that preacher on TV? There was a packed room, thousands and thousands of people. He said, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy preaching. He said, my dad didn't say a word. You know, he didn't diss me, but his silence spoke volumes. He just walked away. And I'm starting to realize now that, 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 that I'm never going to get the approval of my father, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm struggling with that. And if that's you today, I want you to know, don't let the person who gave you your genes keep you from following the person who gave you your dreams. If God put a dream in your heart, you follow that dream. And don't you let nobody put a label on you because they don't own you. Can I tell you something? When you put Jesus Christ in your heart, you became the property of Jesus. You didn't become the property of nobody else but Jesus. And let me tell you something about labeling. You can't label what you don't own. So you can say bye to all the haters. You can say bye to all the parents. Bye to all the pastors who try to tell you who you can be and who you can't be. They don't own you. They can't label you. I used to live in a trailer with 10 guys. We were so poor. We had to put money together to buy eggs. True story. And six of us would put our money together. We'd buy a dozen. The only way to make sure... Someone else didn't eat your egg was to get a marker. Is that a lie? Stand up real quick, Josh. We lived together in a trailer with 10 other guys. Right? Did we not do that? We, did. we would get a marker and we would put a label. I was JJ. He was JT. So I put JJ on my egg. That's my egg. You could break your eggs all you want. Don't you touch my eggs. Why is that my egg? Because I bought that egg. Well, Jesus Christ bought you on a cross 2,000 years ago, and he's the only one. And when he marks you, he marks you with that. It's not a letter. It's not a JC. It's two lines, one long one, one short one, a cross, redeemed, saved, rescued, mine. That's what he sends on your life. And by the way, while we're on it, don't just, don't just keep people from labeling you. Don't let your, your, your failures label you either. Because can I tell you, there's a big difference between what you did and who you are. And that is, that, is, that is the difference between guilt and shame. When we make mistakes, we're going to suffer with two emotions, guilt and shame. Guilt is okay because it leads you to a decision, but shame will keep you in a bad place. It will keep you captive. Here is the difference. Guilt is I did bad. You cannot avoid that emotion. It is every emotion. It will happen to every single person when they make a bad choice. Here is shame. It's different. It's I am bad. I am bad. That's why if you're a parent or if you're going to be a parent and you have a young child, be very careful never to call your kid a liar, a failure, sneaky, lazy, because you have to separate as a parent what they did from who they are. You lied. That doesn't make you a liar. Lying is bad, Justice. Never. Are you, are you lying? You're such a liar. That's, that might sound funny, but that's going to be a label that they carry with them the rest of their life. Don't, don't let someone do it to you. Don't let the failures do it to you. And I wrote some examples down. Hopefully, I can, I can hit your button here. Listen, maybe you've had a marriage or two in your past that is unsuccessful. That's fine. But don't let that translate into, I am broken. Because that's not your label. Maybe you gave into temptation last week, last night. I'm sorry. I, I know you regret it. But don't let that translate into, I am dirty. I know you didn't make the team or get the, get the promotion at your job. But don't, don't let that don't let that translate into, I am weak. I know you never got voted most likely to anything in high, in high school. 
And, and I know you used to be something big. Maybe, maybe you did. You were something big back then, but now nobody knows your name. Don't let those, those decisions or what other people say, don't let that translate into I am insignificant. I know you got let go or you got fired, but don't let that translate into I am unwanted. That is why the past is so hard to be overcome because you're not overcoming something that you did. You're overcoming something that you believe you now are, someone you are. And it's easy to disassociate yourself from a choice, but it's hard to run away from yourself. And so if your failure is who you are, how do you get away from you? I might be 10 years removed away from that abortion, but I'm still the person who committed the abortion. How do you run away from you? Where does that, what do you do with you? Well, here's how we tend to handle it poorly. I'm going to show you how we handle it, and then I'll show you God's way of handling it. Here's how we handle it. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down because this will minister to you because I feel like there's a lot of people doing these things. This is uh, from, this is actually from some of my Christian counseling classes I took back in Bible college, the stuff I thought I'd never use. I'm using today. So, hey, (laughs) proud to share that with you. It's just convincing me that all the money I spent was worth it. Uh, Anyway, so number one, here's what we do. Here's what we do to handle our shame in our past. Here's what we do. We become critical of ourselves, making us critical of others. We see our faults in other people, and we judge them. FYI, that's why your in-law keeps criticizing the way you're raising your kids. They're not really upset at you. They wish they would have done stuff differently when they had kids. And they're projecting that onto you because... Being critical of themselves, they're done yelling at themselves, and so now they're yelling at you. Number two, we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape, sabotaging opportunities and relationships. That's why around Christmas time, your dad goes off and gets drunk and runs off to the bars every single Christmas time. Why? Because he doesn't want you to see the shame that he's become, and so he goes off and becomes that shame in private. Messing up Christmas. Why? Because that's just what I do. That's who I am. Number three, we become vulnerable. This is a good one. This is you and I. We become vulnerable to perfection. We attempt to silence our shame with an error-free performance. That's why everything needs to be perfect for you around Christmas time. That's why every gift needs to be wrapped just right. That's why the turkey needs to be cooked just right. That's why the house needs to smell. You got to have the candle, five different candles going on at the same time. That's why you got to have it all, all set and all beautiful. You got to have the Christmas tree all perfect and the, and the lights on it. Why? Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, if I slip up, they're going to know something's wrong with me. And so my solution to silence my shame is to be perfect so that everyone will know or not know that I'm struggling on the inside. And I want to tell you, you will never solve it by trying to be better. We cannot fix our past. This is the point I want to get to. We cannot fix our past by deciding to live a better future. I know that sounds counter to everything you were taught in middle school, elementary school, or even at church, but you cannot fix your past by having a better future. And, and so I have to illustrate this to you in order for you to really grasp it. And so, babe, would you help me? Would you grab me that right there? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that, and then that, the bag underneath you. That and then I'm gonna ask my friend Jake. Jake, come on, Jake, come up here and help me out real quick. Yeah, awesome, perfect. Yep, give me that. Thank you. And grab me that other plastic bag. Yeah, you got it. Oh, cool, man. Hey, you do me a favor. Um, Would you just put that shirt on for me? Yeah, Jake is a former college baseball star. Uh, He's also part of my small group. And so, in our small group uh, last night uh, at that party with the pickle. I asked him if he would help me with the sermon illustration. 
So here's the problem with trying to get better in your past. You don't want to get your phones out for this. I'm just saying. We got the person ready to, yeah, Justin, come on out, Justin. You're going to have to help us out with this. So um, uh, here's the problem we're trying to get better in our past. Are you ready? Here's the problem. I know this is extreme. There's the only way you're going to get it, okay? We never practiced this before either. So if something horrible happens right now, just I want to anticipate that. Apologize. Apologies. All right. Here's the problem we're getting in your past. Here it is. Go ahead. That's actually a good idea. Awesome. Shake it up. Get it all up in there. Yeah, we're going to clean that up. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate that. We rent the school, and so we want to make sure we take care of the school. Okay, good. Just hang. Shoes. Yeah, clean up the shoes. If you could also dab up that right there. Yeah, great, great, great. I'm going to keep preaching while they get all that in order. Um, here's the problem. We all got a past, and our past is stained, okay? And it's what happened. And I want you to know that with your past, there's nothing you can do to change what's happened. That's it. It's stained. Now, you can do things that might make it better, but by being better doesn't change your past. For example, let's just say that, uh, man, you've become the supervisor at your new job. Congratulations, Pluto. Congratulations. You just, you just, got, a, you just got a badge. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and you know what? Uh, you also got married to a, a beautiful, wonderful woman named Jordan who loves you and loves Jesus very much. And... That's awesome. Look at you, just getting awards and getting better. And oh, guess what? Also, you just decided to start coming to church. Come on, which is like the, that's how you know you're doing good, right? Going to church on a regular basis. And so that's awesome, man. Congratulations. But let me ask you a question. When he looks into the mirror, do you think he sees all this or does he see this? And that's the problem with our past. It doesn't matter what we add on from that point forward. It does not eliminate what has happened. And so even though, we, even though we accumulate trophies and stickers and prizes and titles and jobs and wives and husbands and kids, when we look into the mirror, all we see is the stain. There's nothing you can do in your future to undo what has happened to you in your past. Here's what Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says. Stay right there, Jake. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. By the way, this is what the devil does. He says, look at his stain, look at his stain, look at his stain, look at his stain, God, look at his stain. He does that every day, the Bible says. He accuses you in front of, in front of God the Father. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Ooh. Ooh. Give one of them ooh verses. Look at what God says. Yeshua, and the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Why? Yes, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. You know what I love? That he says, I reject your accusations, not I deny your accusations. Because to deny your accusations would be to say, I don't see what you see. And it's a cop-out. And that's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't love us because he doesn't see what we did. He loves us in spite of what he did. He looks at the stained shirt and says, that's okay. I love him anyway. I don't deny it. I reject it. What you're saying is true. Let me tell you, that's the challenge. That's why the devil's voice is so powerful because he ain't lying. 
He whispers in your ear, you're pathetic. Can I tell you with all the love of my heart? You probably are. <laughs> hey, hey, and so am I. Hey, you're broken. Can I tell you? You might be. So am I. If we're just looking at ourselves. If we're just looking at us. You're weak. I might be. If we're just looking at ourselves. But he doesn't deny it. He rejects it outright. Outright. Why? Right, keep going. Look. I love this. It gets even better. Verses 3 through 5. Oh, I need an angel. I need an angel. Uh, bro, will you be my angel? Come, run, run, run. Come, 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 come. Quick, quick, quick. Come be my angel. Be my angel. This is so good. So good. Got that. Get next to Jake. Zechariah 3, 3 through 5. Look at the screen. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing, take off his filthy clothes. No, no, no. No, bro, take that off. Get out of here. Take it off. Take it off. Jump in there. This is what happens. We don't practice illustrations beforehand. Just take off his shirt. The angel said, take off that filthy, take off that filthy shirt. Oh, we just saw your six-pack. Way to go. All right. Listen. Don't cash this. Cash this. Please cash this. Wait, 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 wait. Don't jump. Too soon. I know you know where it's going. We all do. Yeshua's clothing was filthy. Please cash this. And he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes and turn into Yeshua. He says, see, I'm speaking to you, Jake, but I'm not just speaking to Jake. I'm talking to every single person who walked into this building today, wearing some stains, wearing a past, wearing some hurt, wearing your dad, wearing your mom, wearing your ex-husband, wearing your kids, wearing your failure. I'm talking to you right now. See, I have taken away your sins. And now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said they should also place it. So put a new shirt on him. Come on, put a new shirt on him. Verse 5. Then I said they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. And they dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's what Jesus does. Hear me out. Jesus doesn't make you better. He didn't die on a cross to make you better. God doesn't make you better. He makes you new. He makes you new, and new is so much better than better. Because here's what you can do with new that you can't do with better. If you had just been better, then the devil could accuse you every day of your life. But because you're new, when the devil starts to talk to you about your sin and say, oh man, look what you did, look what you did. I can't believe you did that. You can look back in and go, I'm sorry. That's not my shirt. That's not my failure. That's not my pain. That's not my hurt. That's not my past. That's not my brokenness. That's not it. I don't know who you're talking about, devil, but that's not me. That's all me. That's I don't even know that person. I don't even recognize that person. That's not my shirt. I'm clean. I'm white. I'm new. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. I'm clean. I'm white. I'm new. I don't know what you're talking about, devil. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus is all confused when the devil starts accusing. He's like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? I don't see what you see. I see a man who has been snatched from the fire. I see a man whose life is pure. I see a man, a woman, a girl, a mom, a dad who has been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I don't see his past. 
I see Jesus. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. I want to pray with you right now in this room. Hey, if you're here and you've been wearing an old shirt, can I remind you that God doesn't see what you see? God doesn't see what you see. I know what you see in the mirror, and I'm so sorry that you see that. I know that you see it. I know what you see last night. I know you see last week. I know you see your 30s. I know you see your 40s, but I want to let you know. You don't see that. This is what he sees. That's not my shirt, devil. I don't know what you're talking about. If that's you right now, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want God to do a restoration work right now here. Here's what I want you to do, spiritually speaking. I want to make a prayer with you. If you've been carrying something that you need to take off and let go, on the count of three, I want you to raise your right hand, and I want to pray with you. And here's what we're going to do. If you raise your hand and you say, yeah, I need this, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to receive what Jesus already did for us. We're just going to remind ourselves of it in prayer. Ready? You need to take off some hands. On three, if that's you, I want to pray with you. One, two, three. Shoot your hand in the sky. You're in this building. You want to get free. Yeah, you just want to get rid of that. It's done. Awesome. Put your hand down. Pray this prayer with me. And as I pray this, and as you pray this prayer with me, just you can make it your own. You can repeat after me. I just want you to deal with God right now. Father God, I know now, even though I don't see it, I am not who I see. I am who you see. My yesterday is exactly that yesterday. But today, I'm a new creation. My heart is new. My spirit is new because your mercy is new every day. Jesus Christ, today I'm reminded that I am clean and I am pure and I am no longer living in the past. Come on, just take it another second. Just however you want to translate that. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now. I believe Jesus wants to touch your heart. He wants to touch your heart. Come on, he doesn't make it better. He makes it new. You're a new creation. The Bible says my mercy is on you every morning. Every morning. I don't care if what you did was yesterday. Hear me. Sunday morning, you woke up with Sunday morning's mercy. You got new mercy. You got a new name. You got a new creation in your life. New. See the newness. Not the, not the betterness. Stop trying to be better. You can't be better. We can't be better. But we can be new. New, new, I'm new. I'm new, I'm new, I'm new. God is healing you right now. Erasing this Erasing the memory. Not, not, never the memory. You can never erase the memory, but he can keep you from living in it. Keep you from digging it up. Keep you from talking to ghosts. No more ghosts. No more ghosts. No more ghosts. No more ghosts. Amen. I want to pray for another person today, a very special person. Maybe it was your first time at church today in a long time because it's Christmas. And you would say, you know what? I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. Hey, today can be the day of a brand new life, of a new life. The old has gone, the Bible says. The new has come. Let me read to you a verse. Today, the Bible says, that last verse I gave you guys in the back. Today, 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 I am rolling away the stone of your slavery. Here's what the Bible says. Today, I am rolling away the stone of your slavery. Don't worry about it. I'm rolling away the stone of your slavery. And I'm giving you a new life. That's what Jesus does. He, un he breaks the slavery chains. He breaks the old life. And he gives you a new life. So if you're here and you want a new life with Jesus Christ, every head bowed, every eye, we just get a moment of privacy for those who want to make this decision. 
If you want to start new today, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. I need Jesus Christ in my life. That's you. One, two, come on, three. All over this place, you need Jesus in your life. You want to start new right now. You need Jesus, new. Keep it high. Don't be ashamed. High, 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 high. Come on, I see that hand. I see it. 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 Come on, brand new lives. Come on, brand new lives start today. If you raise your hand, church, let's pray with them so they don't feel alone. Dear Jesus, you have come to give me a new life. Today, I place my faith in you. And I declare, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. Jesus, make me new. Make me new. Make me new. From this day forward, I give you my life. I don't know if I can be perfect. I don't know if I can be better. With your help, I am new. Well, give it up for the eight or nine people who made a decision to follow Jesus Christ today. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text JOURNEYORL to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.